0: Our reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 2 Corinthians, verse 5. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom. on God's power. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you so much, Tolo. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you so much for the word of the cross, for its power to save and to transform lives. And we ask that you would send your spirit now to do exactly that and to help me as I speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there are some ideas in Christianity that I like to call stained-glass ideas. And by stained-glass ideas, I mean ideas that sound respectable and even beautiful in a church context, like a stained-glass window, but in reality are actually quite messy, painful, and challenging realities. The cross can sometimes come across as one of those very religious churchy, stained-glass ideas. And the problem for us today is that we're so used to seeing crosses in church and religious contexts that it's very easy to lose sight of the sheer scandal and horror and offence that the crucifixion of Jesus Christ really was. That God Almighty himself would choose such a shameful death for the greatest display of his glory, is almost incomprehensible when you think about it. And so what I want to do with you in these reflections is to try to get past the stained glass window to the reality of what the cross is for us. And that's why the title for this first reflection is The Scandal of the Cross. The Scandal of the Cross. And uh, it comes from verses 22 to 23 when the Apostle Paul says this, that Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Now, the Greek word, as you can see there, the Greek word for stumbling block is scandalon, and it's where the English word for scandal comes from. And he expresses a response that Paul the Apostle encounters when he preaches the cross, that many religious people are finding the cross to be this stumbling block, this scandal of offence. And when we really understand the cross, it's not hard to see why, is it? Despite 2,000 years of church history, which can sometimes domesticate um, the cross or uh, romanticise it. So Cambridge scholar Joel Green uh, describes crucifixion in uh, in Jesus' day like this. Executed publicly, situated at a major crossroads or a well-trafficked artery, devoid of clothing, left to be eaten by birds and beasts, victims of crucifixion were subject to optimal, unmitigated and vicious ridicule. But the Apostle Paul is insistent, isn't he? That despite the utter pain and shame of crucifixion, that the cross is in fact, verse 24, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Despite the enormous discomfort and repulsion that people are feeling when they're hearing Paul preach, Paul is adamant that the cross is where the power of the gospel is to be located. And what I want to unpack with you is how the cross scandalises our understanding of power and our understanding of religion, and from that, how it can help us as well. So firstly, how the cross scandalises our understanding of power. Now, when a scandal comes out of Westminster, like the whole Downing Street party fiasco, We tend to dub events like this a scandal, don't we, usually because someone has corruptly used their power to get some kind of unfair benefit for themselves. But when the Apostle Paul says that the cross is foolishness and a scandal, it's because of the way that the cross turns upside down our understanding of power. Instead of using power to his own advantage, Jesus, emptied himself, made himself nothing, and humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. And the kicker verse is verse 25, isn't it? For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. The weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And the scandal of the cross is further demonstrated when we think about Um, how Jesus actually died. In other words, this isn't just, it isn't so much that Christ died that is the scandal. It is, as verse 23 reminds us, Christ crucified that is the scandal. It is the method of his death, crucifixion, that is the stumbling block to religious people. And that's because this was not a nice, comfortable, death in a hospital bed pumped up with morphine. This was death with calculated pain and shame in mind, a death with humiliation as its ultimate goal. And that almighty God himself could choose a death such as this absolutely beggars belief. As Fleming Rutledge puts it, the world's religions have certain traits in common, But until the gospel of Jesus Christ burst upon the Mediterranean world, no one in the history of human imagination had conceived of such a thing as the worship of a crucified man. So the cross scandalises our sense of power, but deeper still, it scandalises our sense of religion and how God ought to be and to act. Some of you might have heard of the German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was involved in the underground church in Nazi Germany and uh, he was martyred in prison, actually, uh, months before the war ended. And uh, writing from prison, he said these powerful words about the cross shortly before he was killed. He said this, "'Christ is weak and powerless in the world, And that is precisely the way, the only way, in which he is with us and helps us. Christ helps us, not by virtue of his omnipotence, but by virtue of his weakness and suffering. And this is a reversal of what the religious person expects from God. See, religion, when I hear that word, I don't know what you think of when you hear that word religion, when I hear that word, what I tend to hear is God Almighty is up there enjoying clouds and angels song, and we're down here in the dirt, and God is watching us to see how many hoops we can jump through to please him. God might act in the world occasionally to help some very virtuous and holy people, but basically he's up there in power and glory, and we're down here. That's what I mean when I talk about religion. True Christianity, however, preaches a Christ who saves and strengthens and helps us on the basis of his greatest pain and weakness and apparent defeat. And that goes against pretty much every religious instinct and intuition. And of course, religion can and does creep into the church and you can see that in the church in Corinth in this passage you can see it uh, as they're saying things like I follow Paul I follow Apollos the Corinthian church is descending into a triumphalistic form of christianity that wants to skip past the scandal and sacrifice of the cross and get straight to kind of who's who's in charge and what tribe am I in but paul says you can't get around or past the cross if you want to remain distinctively Christian. Even the amazing victory of the resurrection that we're going to celebrate on Sunday is only what it is because Jesus first said yes to the cross. And a Christianity that rushes too quickly past the cross to the resurrection will also, I suspect, rush past the theology of suffering and sacrifice and soon find itself in sub-Christian territory uh, one commentator describes the Corinthians like this. It says, Wherever there's an emphasis on spiritual virtuosity, with a corresponding de emphasis on atonement for sin and self sacrificing service, there we meet the Corinthians. And that's why Paul is so keen to talk about the cross right off the bat in 1 Corinthians, because he's saying, You haven't understood the fundamental principle about how God acts in the world until you understand the cross. I was reading a fascinating story about um, a chap called Thomas Smale. He's a biblical scholar, being in a prayer meeting and speaking in tongues for the very first time. And uh, a lady got up, to, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to give an interpretation of the tongue that she heard. This is something the Bible commends that we do. And the interpretation she gave, remarkable interpretation, was this. There is no way to Pentecost except by Calvary. The Spirit is given from the cross. There is no way to Pentecost except by Calvary. The Spirit is given from the cross. And Paul is saying, in effect, the same thing to the Corinthians. Almost like he says, I know you're interested in dazzling rhetoric and exciting spiritual experiences, But unless the cross is foundational and front and centre, everything else is irrelevant. Because the Spirit only comes to you through and because of the cross. And that's why Paul doesn't begin 1 Corinthians by answering the questions that they've been asking him about, things like spirituality, spiritual gifts, who's in the right tribe. He gets to that later And he's actually incredibly encouraging of the church in their pursuit of all of the spiritual gifts, despite some of the abuses in the Corinthian church at that time. But no, he starts the letter by laying that foundation for everything else. And in verses 2 to 4, he applies it to himself and his ministry. So he says, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, nothing, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. And my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. That's what they were looking for in Corinth, exciting, dazzling speech. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power And so the cross will, uh, when we really grasp it, is a scandal to our sense of power and our sense of religion. But how does this all cash out for us in the real world, for you and I? Well, Paul tells us in verses 26 to 29. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called now, that's a super helpful reminder, isn't it? He's saying, think back to what your life was like when you first put your trust in Jesus. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. And then come, this is the bit where Paul begins to apply the scandal of the cross to you and I. He says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not like a cross to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. And so the cross shows us a God who does his greatest work through suffering and weakness and who therefore also does his greatest work through weak and insignificant people like us. And Paul shares this, I think, partly as an encouragement and partly as a challenge. And that's because the cross reveals something deep about how God likes to operate and to display his power and glory, For those of us who recognize gladly their weakness and sin and dependence in the sight of God, this is an unbelievable encouragement, isn't it? Um, I I like what a Christian rapper, Lecrae, says when he said, "Um, yes, I'm a Christian, yes, I fall, I stumble, I struggle, I am a mess, but I'm God's mess and he can turn a mess into a masterpiece. For people who can say that, the word of the cross is exceptionally good news because it says, don't write yourself off or underestimate your usefulness to God because you don't happen to feel uh, glamorous or impressive or because you're weak. Because the same God who is at work in the weakness and foolishness of the cross is at work in your weakness too. And that can be such an encouragement as he puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, that we have this treasure in jars of clay, cracked jars of clay, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. But there is also, isn't there, in what he says, a challenge to our pride and arrogance here. When Paul says in verses 28 to 29 that God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, so that no one may boast before him. He's basically asking us, how do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? Are you in touch with your weakness? And the challenge is, if you're not in touch with your weakness, if you're not self-aware about the myriad ways in which you are utterly dependent on God for every breath that you take, for the salvation that you enjoy for the food that you eat, the roof over your head, for every blessing that you have. It's like Paul is saying, if you're not in touch with how weak and dependent you really are, then you haven't understood. It shows, I think he's saying, that you haven't understood the power of the cross or the power of Good Friday. Because the cross reveals a God who turns upside down the world's understanding of power and religion and displays a God who does his greatest work through a shameful criminal's death. And that is truly a scandal, but it is, as he says to us, it's also the wisdom and the power of God. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your incredible humility that you came to die such a death as this to display your glory. And we ask that you would show us where You might want to work in our lives, not in spite of our weakness, but through our weakness. And would you show us where you want to do that work within us? In Jesus' name, amen.